Good day again, everyone. Let's pray before we look at God's word together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray tonight that you might give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you might uh, help us to understand your word. But more than that, we pray that through it, we will know you better. So we ask that you'll do that work in us through your word tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was in town last year sometime and I was walking on George Street and uh, suddenly there was just this massive crowd of people in front of me and I thought, well, there must be something special going on. I've missed out, you know, and so I'm looking around. Then I realised where I was on George Street, I was right in front of the Apple store and it was the queue of people lining up to buy the new iPhone 7 uh, that was just coming out. Now, immediately I thought of these people as strange and different to me and so I sort of saw them as something to be looked at like animals in a zoo uh, and so I just watched them for a while thought, what sort of person lines up overnight I understand someone who lines up overnight to get grand final tickets or someone who lines up overnight to see their favorite band you don't do that anymore do you, you sit on your computer and hit, oh I missed it you know that's sort of, but um but when I was young we used to line up overnight to get the tickets to the concert that sort of idea not that I ever did that but anyway uh but all these people as they're waiting in the queue they were all doing exactly the same thing do you know what they were doing they were playing on their iPhone 6 as they waited to spend over $1,000 on a new iPhone 7. So they'd, less than a year earlier, they'd spent over $1,000 on a thing that in the end enables you to ring your friends, search the internet, anything else? I don't know. <laughs> play, play a game where you pretend it's a beer and as you drink it goes like that. You know, that sort of idea. I've seen someone doing that on their iPhone. But... Uh, They'd paid $1,000 for that, and then a year later, even though they had a perfectly good one that they were playing with as they waited, they wanted a new one. And it just made me think of how incredible our modern-day advertisers and marketing people are at making us buy things we don't need, even though we've got a perfectly good thing already. And it also made me think of my kids when they were younger, and they'd get up on a Saturday morning and they'd watch uh, cartoons on the TV, and sometimes we'd try and make them watch what was then ABC Kids, but sometimes they'd sneak it over to one of the commercial channels and then they would see, because the commercial channels are very good at this on a Saturday morning, during the cartoons they put on ads for the toy that you really need. And so then the kids would come to us and say, oh, I, I, we really need the new Ben 10 Omnitrix 1000, or whatever it was that when Sam was that age. Uh, and we'd say to him, but but didn't you get for Christmas the Ben Chen Omnitrix 900? And, and yeah, yeah, we don't understand. This one's so much better. It's got a flashing light when you press the button or, you know, that sort of idea. Or, gee, I need the new doll that actually dirties its nappies and you get to... And it, which always freaked me out that you would want that as a child. But, um, uh, and then what we would try and do with our kids is we'd take them to their room and we'd point out this stack of toys that were sitting there that they had not played with for six months and we'd say but you've got all these toys if you play with every one of those toys then we'll buy you the new toy and they go no you don't understand the Ben 10 Omnitrix 1000 has lost flashing light and you see this is the thing isn't it this incredible ability to make us think we want more than what we've already got and as Christians we can be like that we can think I want more than what God has already given me in Jesus and the thing is there is nothing more 
And I hope if you learned anything last week, in last week's passage, you learned that, that you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Go back and look at chapter 1, verse 3, that great verse. Through Ephesians, every chapter's got what I just sort of think is our memory verse. Uh, maybe at the end, I'll ask you if you remember the memory verse I've brought up in each chapter. In chapter 1, the memory verse is chapter 1, verse 3. Learn it off by heart. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. If you are in Christ, if you trust in him, you lack nothing. You have everything that matters for eternity. And we saw the whole list last week. Do you remember the list? Just flat, put your, sort of run your eye down that first part of the chapter. You have been chosen by God. We've been adopted as his children. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've been given the Holy Spirit who's at work in us. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. So what more do we need if we have every spiritual blessing? You all answered correctly. But I'd like you to say it. What more do we need if we have every spiritual blessing already in Christ? nothing we don't need anything else but it's funny how christians all of us and every christian does this at some point can be a bit like kids wanting a new toy and we sort of think oh well all those spiritual blessings they're great and jesus died for me and and, and he rose again i've got the holy spirit i know that but they're sort of ho-hum and they become boring and we think we need something more to give us a lift and you see that in the way christians will often chase after a new teaching or a new experience or a new whatever it is i'm feeling spiritually flat so i need something more and that is what makes paul's prayer that we're looking at tonight so important uh, because paul is showing us what we should pray for ourselves but especially what we should pray for one another for our brothers and sisters in christ here in our church family he's showing us what we need to ask god for and Paul's prayer isn't for something new. He's not asking God now, do this for my brothers and sisters in Christ at Ephesus or at St. George North, because there's nothing more for God to do. We learned that last week. Now, Paul's prayer is that we might actually truly grasp what God has already done for us. That's what Paul's prayer is. And that's why I'm calling this passage the prayer for the person who has everything. It's a bit like, you know, what do you buy for the person who has everything at Christmas? And you just end up getting them a gift card to JB Hi-Fi. Well, well, this is so much better than that. This is the prayer for the person who already has every spiritual blessing in Christ. So if you want to, want to know what to pray for your brothers and sisters, and I pray you do, this is what you should pray. So let's get into it. And the first thing Paul does is give thanks. Look at verse 15. It says, this is why. So he's saying, because of everything I said in verses 1 to 14... Because you have every spiritual blessing in Christ, this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. So I understand his logic here. The logic is, if you receive every spiritual blessing by trusting in Jesus, then the thing I thank God for unceasingly in you is that you have faith. Because if you have faith in Jesus, you have every spiritual blessing. So he's saying, because I see your faith, that's what I thank God for. I never stop thanking God for the fact that you trust in Jesus. But then for Paul, what is the thing that always goes alongside faith in Jesus? Nearly every time in the New Testament, it's here again. What is the thing that always goes alongside faith? It's love. 
love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's interesting the way the Bible always puts faith and love together. If you claim to have faith, but you do not love, then your faith is not real. That's the point. You know that old question people like to ask, can you be a Christian and not be involved in the life of a church? People always like to throw that one out. Can you be a Christian and not go to church? And on the one hand, you sort of have to say, yes, because you're not saved by going to church. You're you're saved by grace, through faith. So on the one hand, you have to say, yes. But on the other hand, you say, practically, generally, no. It's not possible. Because genuine saving faith will flow out in love. A person who trusts in Jesus will want to in some way meet with other brothers and sisters in Christ to love them. That's just a given, according to Paul in the New Testament. The other thing I want you to notice, go back to those verses again. Do you notice how he gives thanks to God for their faith and their love? It's not, well done to you, I've heard about your faith and your love. Give yourselves a pat on the back. It's, I thank God for it. Why does he thank God? Because in the end, even those things are God's work in us even those things are by God's grace so as we think of what to pray for one another the first thing we should do is give thanks that's the first thing we should look for the evidence of faith and love in one another's lives and give thanks for it if I can take a little digression here I think at some point we need all Christians I think certainly me we need to hear this also as a bit of a challenge from Paul because sometimes we can become sort of self-absorbed navel, navel gazers as Christians. And we can just sort of always spot the negatives in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can become judgmental and we can say, oh, I know that time where they didn't love me like I think they should have loved me. And so instead of giving thanks for the brother who, who watches out for us and cooked us a meal, we grumble about the sister who didn't do that for us or instead of giving thanks for the sister who invited us into their home we we grumble about the brother who didn't do that and when we are like that we are failing to see the wonderful work of God in his people in his church the thing is the church in Ephesus would have had all sorts of faults because it's just like our church it's full of forgiven sinners you see and he could have written I never stop giving thanks for the faith and love of Bill and Tony and Fred but not for He could have done that, but he doesn't do that. He says, no, 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 no. I give thanks for all the evidence of faith and love I see amongst you in the people of God, in your church, because that means you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. All right, let's move on. Because besides giving thanks, what do you pray for your brothers and sisters who have every spiritual blessing? Well, this is the big thing Paul prays for. Paul prays that they and we might truly know God. That's what he prays for, for knowledge. That we might truly know the God who has blessed us and truly understand just how wonderful it is to be one of his children. So look with me at verse 17. It says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the perception of your mind, literally the eyes of your heart, may be enlightened. Isn't that a beautiful way of putting it? The eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And you get what he's saying. He's praying that the Holy Spirit of God would work in us so that we would know him, our glorious Father, so that we would know him better and better and better. 
and he prays that God through spirit would open up not just our mind but also our heart so it wouldn't just be sort of bare facts that we know about God but we would truly know God better this is called the doctrine of illumination if you want the sort of technical word for it that work of the Holy Spirit to help us understand and grasp the truth of God's word and then especially to convict us of it to open up our heart and open up our mind so that we will really grasp a hold of the truth of God's word and take a hold of it and believe it and live by it now this is really important on two levels I'm just going to sort of reiterate two things I want you to take away from this the first is Paul does not pray that God would do something new for us He prays that we would grasp even more the wonderful things God has already done for us. That's the first thing to note. That is what we need. You don't need anything new from God. You just need to grasp what he's done for you already. Then secondly, notice more than anything else, what Paul wants for us is knowledge. Some Christians are down on knowledge. I'm amazed how regularly I have conversations with people who who tell me, I've got a simple faith. I don't need to know God's word better. I don't need to be in a gospel team. I don't need to read the Bible. No, God says it is knowledge you need more than anything. It is growing in our knowledge of God and all that he has done for us that will change you and grow you and keep you secure in him. So if you want to know what to pray, the most wonderful thing you can pray for yourself and the most wonderful thing you can pray for your brothers and sisters here is for growth in the knowledge of God. But now Paul prays for three aspects of that knowledge in particular and I've put them on your outline. If you turn to the sort of second column in your outline you'll see the three particular sort of focuses of the knowledge Paul wants us to gain. And I want to look at each in turn. So the first thing he prays is that we might know the hope of God's calling. So look at verse 18. He says, I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so you may know what is the hope of his calling. See, we saw last week that God has called us to be holy and blameless. God has called us to be his child. God has called us to be forgiven, to be redeemed. And he has given us this incredible hope for the future. As Christians, we often look back, don't we? And that's right and good. So our faith looks back to what Jesus has done for us we look back to his death and his resurrection but here Paul prays that we will know what God has in store for us in the future see just as faith and love always go together the sort of third one of the the trinity if you like that Paul always puts together is then hope that you will know what you look forward to as a Christian I think often Christians we have a stunted picture of just how wonderful our hope is because perhaps for many of us our lives here on earth are so good that there's a sense to which we sort of feel like I don't actually need anything much more in the future we sort of don't think I don't need heaven because perhaps we're too content in this sinful fallen world so Paul prays that we might really grasp just how wonderful our future hope is God has a glorious future waiting for us a new creation a new heavens and a new earth where there is no sin and no pain and no suffering and no going without a place where we will be in the presence of God forever but without any shame and without any guilt but actually with joy with him where every relationship will be perfect no gossip no broken promises 
No broken relationships, no worry. That is our future if we trust in Jesus. And that is our future whether we actually know it or not. That's the funny thing about it. That's our future whether we fully grasp it and appreciate it or not. But Paul says, I pray that you will grasp it better, that you will know the hope of his calling because that will then change us now. That is what will liberate us from from worrying and caring about the things of this earth that aren't that important in the end. It's knowing the hope of our calling that will liberate us to do what Jesus called us to do, which is to live, to store up treasures in heaven rather than here on earth. And that's why Paul prays that we might really grasp the hope of his calling. Second thing that Paul prays we might really know is what I've called there on your outline, our preciousness to God. So he says... I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so that you may know, then go to the end of verse 18 there, what are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints. Now he could read that, and lots of people do, as just sort of expanding on that first point uh, about our hope. So it's sort of talking about our inheritance that God has in store for us. So it's sort of like he's saying, I pray that you might know the hope of, of your calling, of his calling, that is the glorious inheritance you'll receive in the new creation. And that's a great thing to know, but I think it's actually talking about something different here. It's talking about knowing that we are God's glorious inheritance. Because it says there, look at it again, it says, the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints. Not, it's talking about God, not our inheritance. And this is really something the Bible often talks about. The Bible talks about God's people, first Israel and then the church, as God's inheritance, as sort of God's precious thing, which he actually gifts to his son, to Jesus. And this goes back to what we saw last week about how we're chosen by God, set apart by God, loved by God. See, I think Paul's prayer here is that we might actually grasp just how special we are to God. I'm not saying that so that you would yourself and go, oh, he said, oh, I'm special, you know, that's, there you are. You don't need me to tell you that, it's God who sees you as special, he sent his son to die for you. But in particular, it's that God might, we might see how special we are together to God. Look around you, don't look at me, look around you, there's much prettier people out there. Look around you. I remember last week I got you to say hello to the person next to you and what did you have to call them? A saint. Do it again, just to remind one another that you've been made holy by Jesus. <laughs> now I've lost you, so I've got to bring you back. But, but having done that, now look around you again and take a really good look. Because as you look, you look and you sort of say it's a pretty normal Joe Average group of people here. But look around you and understand that this collection of people is the most precious thing God has ever created. Look around you again. Look around you like you would look if you were standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon or something like that, you know, and be amazed. This group of people is the most precious thing God has ever... And I'm not talking specifically about the 630 congregation, like suddenly... (laughs) You are the most special. I like you much more than the 1030, you know. 
Well, I'm not even talking about you, St George North, versus the people down at the Baptist Church down the road or something like that. I'm saying you, the gathered people of God, wherever God's people gather around his word, you are God's most wonderful creation. You see, this is God's glorious inheritance. And what he wants you to know is you're a part of that. So Paul prays we would really know just how important and glorious we are to God. That brings us to the third thing Paul prays we'll grasp and know better, which is the power of God. And it's there in verse 19. I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened, so you may know, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his vast strength. Now, we know God is powerful, don't we? If you're a Christian, you know God is powerful, and he is de- you know it because he has demonstrated it to you in history. So look at verse 20. It says, he demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead. So if you want to, if you want to, is God powerful? Well, yes, because who can raise a human being from the dead? Human beings can do all sorts of wonderful things, but we cannot raise the dead. But God raised Jesus from the dead. But then more than that, what does it say? It seated, he seated him at his right hand in the heavens far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. You see, more than raising Jesus from the dead, God has now taken Jesus into the heavens, seated him at his right hand on the throne and put him in control, in authority over everything and everyone. And when it says there Jesus is far above every ruler and authority, he doesn't just mean Malcolm Turnbull and Donald Trump. He means in the heavens, above every demonic power, above every angelic power, above the devil, above any power that will ever be and has ever been and could ever be in the future, Jesus is above them. There is no authority above Jesus and there never will be. But now, just go back to verse 19. See, what he wants you to know is, he doesn't just want you to know about God's power and Jesus' authority in theory. He doesn't just want you to know, oh, God is powerful and he's done great stuff in history. He says, what I want you to know is that the God who is that powerful is using that power now for you who believe. So he doesn't just want us to know that God is powerful. He wants us to know that God uses that power for our benefit. I think that's the point there in verses 22 and 23. Look down there. It says, and he put everything under Jesus' feet. That's everything, all creation, heavens and earth. And he appointed him as head over everything. That's everything, all creation, heavens and earth. But then the three most important words there, for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Just think about that for the moment. Jesus is in control of it, Jesus has authority over everything and he uses that for our benefit, for the church. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have total authority over everything and he uses it for our sake. So much so that he can say that we are his body and he is our head. And I think they're in verse 23. Verse 23 is a really difficult verse and I hope you sort of grapple with it in your gospel teams. But I think it's saying that as the body of Christ, we are so important to Jesus 
that he fills us in every way. Just like a, a head can't be separated from a body and a body can't be separated from its head, just like a body is incomplete without its head and a head is incomplete without its body, well now Jesus completes us and we complete him. The, the Jesus who has authority over everything says, you are so important to me, you are my body. That's just my thoughts on verse 23, but the point is clear, and that is that the God who raised Jesus from the dead uses all his power for the benefit of you and me, for his church. And so Paul prays that we would really know that. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have not learned anything new tonight. If you did learn something new, that's wonderful, and I'm pleased my sermon was worthwhile, but but generally, I think if you've been a Christian for any time, I've just reminded you of things you already knew. You know Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead. You know that Jesus sits in the heavens at his Father's right hand where he comes, where he will come back one day to judge the living and the dead. You know that we are his body and he works for our good. You know all of that. But the prayer here is that we would really know it. You know when you sort of know something, but you need to know something. That's what Paul's prayer is, that you wouldn't just know it, but you would know it. That makes no sense for anyone on the tape. On the, <laughs> that makes no sense because most of the people don't know what a tape is. But it makes no sense for anyone on the podcast. But you, that tells you you should come to church. Um, <laughs> but you see, the point is, he wants you to so know it that it actually shapes what you do now and what you believe now. See, come with me, turn over. I'm going to sort of get a head start in a sermon for a few weeks' time. Uh, Come with me to chapter 3 in Ephesians. Because Paul picks up this idea and runs with it here. Chapter 3, verse 14. He says, For this reason I kneel, praying before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, and I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his Spirit. So when he says, I I pray that God will strengthen you with power, he's saying with that same power he used to raise Jesus from the dead. And then look a bit further down at verse 20. It says, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. See, I think for many of us Christians, when we pray, we pray not expecting God to do anything. I think when we pray, we pray not thinking that God is powerful to work. I think sometimes we can learn, you know, I don't want you to sort of go and become like one of those faith healers who says, if you just believe God can heal this person's sore back, he'll heal this person's sore back. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about greater things. I'm saying when you pray, God, help me because I'm struggling with this sin, help me to get rid of it. God is powerful to help you. And when you pray, God, strengthen my faith so that I might have the courage to actually stand up for Jesus, God is powerful to help you. And when you pray, God, please keep me trusting in Jesus to the end, God is powerful to do that. That is the God we pray for. And the power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead is available to us who believe. You see, the God who says, whatever happens, I am working for your good, you can trust that he is Because this is the God who is powerful enough to raise Jesus. 
And, and when it talks about, this is the God who says, nothing can separate you from my love, you could say, I can trust that totally because this is the God who has Jesus sitting at his right hand in the heavens. That's how powerful he is. Nothing is above him. Or when you are struggling with sin or with temptation, that is the God who will listen to your prayers and work in you to change you and to shape you. So what do we need more than anything? What should we pray more than anything? We should pray that we would know that God better. That we would know our God better. We would know what he has done for us. We would know what he has in store for us. And we would know the power he has for our benefit. Because the more we know that, the more it will actually transform us and change us and shape us now. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to work in us through his spirit to open our eyes to know him better and better. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that we would grow and grow in our knowledge of you. Please, by your spirit, convict us again and again of these truths we know. Help us to know them better and better. In particular, help us to truly know the hope of your calling. Help us to truly know what it means that we are your glorious inheritance in the saints. And help us to know that wonderful power, that amazing power that is at work for those who believe. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.